Hello, everybody. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. My name is Russ Rushtick. Welcome to the Resties, where the best of the rest discuss the best of the rest. This week, we're talking about what we're actually playing. A twist between the weekly deluge of new games. We also play stuff for ourselves, and this week, we're talking about it. What keeps our interest outside of the new video game cycle. You know how like 99% of people play video games. <laughs> uh, it, it seems logical. So that means you are playing Dark Souls 2. I have questions about that. I am playing Cult of the Lamb. Uh, uh, we're going to do a little bit of spoilers on that. Kind of uh, at the uh, the second segment. And then we both played a little bit of the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Cowabunga Collection. <laughs> so, I mean, a full episode. A full episode. It is. But before we jump into that, I, I had a question for you, Chris Plant. Uh-huh. You wear sneakers, right? Shoes, yeah. I, I, I do, in fact, wear shoes. No, but specifically sneakers. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm like I'm like uh like a tennis shoe. Like yeah, on like a normal everyday, you're not like trying to be fancy. Yeah. Like, who, throw on. who doesn't wear do you think there are people who it's like either sandals or dress shoes? Maybe. Oh, okay. I I a question I'd have for you is are you the sort of person that would run shoes into the ground or do you like have a bunch of shoes and you kind of rotate through them. I can, I, I, it's kind of bizarre that you asked this. I literally just ran a pair of shoes into the ground. So much so that you could see through the sole in the bottom of the shoe. Right. Which I had never done that before. I, I, <laughs> I, I do run them to the ground, but never quite literally to the point that you're like, oh gosh. Wait, you could see the sock? Yeah, like I had like, and you can see like, um, like you know, like when you cut open a like a gobstocker, gobstocker, gobstopper, Gob yes, <laughs> you can like see the layers, right? Like, wow, you can see the different layers of kind of like plastic and rubber. It was like when they hit the home run in the Sandlot, and it yeah, and off. I don't know how it happened. Like I didn't think I was do. I, I I thought everything was going fine, and then one day, you know, I take a look, and suddenly I've you know taken a journey to the center of my foot. I mean, you do love to walk. I do. That is true. That is the thing about me. I don't. I don't think we talk about that. I like to walk about one to two hours a day, if possible. You're a walker, and at uh, that point, one to two hours a day. I, you, you've got to be going through. I'm a doing sneaker a number. every year, at least. It's true. Is this going anywhere? Is is this just about my shoe habits? Well, it, I mention it because I was recently. My wife recently made fun of me because she was walking behind me at one point and. Uh, joked about the state of my shoes and I hadn't really computed it until I took the shoes off and realized that one shoe looked relatively normal. The uh -huh. other shoe, the sole had rubbed down so much that it was at a slant. So when I was walking, one of my feet was like sl <laughs> slanted, which is probably not great. So at once I realized that I went and bought new shoes. So it was remedied. But I do think not just for shoes, but for all things in my life, I try to really get the most out of them. I try to like really every inch of it because I bought it. I want to make the most of it. And I don't know if that makes me a hoarder or what. No, that's good. I wish I could be like that with technology. I'm not oh, yeah. with everything in my life is going to be used way, way beyond the point of being reasonable. Like yeah. we, we just got rid of um, the utensils that I got 
when I went to college. Oh, my God. I, yeah, I know. It's gross. <laughs> and, like, there are T-shirts that I wear that it's bad because there's just a record of photos of me in these shirts, again, from college. Sure. 15 years ago or whatever. Um, so it's that's hard to let true. those go. But then with, then, uh, with tech, it's like, I don't know. The, a new monitor does sound pretty nice. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but sure, what's funny, I got one three years ago, but do, maybe another one now. Yeah, it's funny because, again, I feel like I need to make use of both tech. And so, like, when I buy a new thing, I really feel like I need to use it a lot to make use of it. And that applies to games as well. And part of the reason that I really try to finish games is because, hey, I are, I'm already pot committed to this game. I want to, like, mm. see it through. See? And I know that doesn't apply to you. Sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, uh, I know. Th- there, right? Like for me, with a game, that that's a that's a, that's resources, right? Yeah. Like it's eating up my time. You're right. If but I was, I, yeah, but yeah. Right. You were you were like the last person I know to get a 4K TV. I think. Yeah, it was very late in the process. I don't know why that is, but it was it was very late. I mean, I know why that is. But my vision is not great enough to see the difference. <laughs> but then I got one, and I was like, oh yeah, it looks a little better. It, I. I it, the worst thing about this, and it's especially true with graphic uh, GPUs, graphic cards, mm. is uh, for the first week, it is the most amazing thing. And then it just turns you into a snob yeah. who it expects it. It just becomes the new normal almost instantly. Yeah, and not um, only that, it makes lower than 4K stuff look a little worse. Uh, yeah, sometimes. A little bit. Sometimes. Sometimes. sometimes, 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 sometimes. <laughs> uh, should we talk about video games? Let's do it. Okay, let's take a quick break, and then we will talk about, how about Dark Souls 2? Okay. Okay, we're back. You you have been <laughs> returning to Dark Souls 2, I believe, because the Steam Deck has made this something viable in your life. And, is, and is you know right? me. I, I really try, when I say something, I really uh-huh. try to do it. Okay. And this includes, when I said on this very podcast... The games that I had in my backlog for when the Steam Deck would arrive, uh-huh. I mentioned two games. One of them was Outer Wilds, and the other one was Dark Souls 2. And here I am. I've already beaten Outer Wilds, and I'm playing Dark Souls 2. I'm so I'm a man of, of my word. Where where are you at in it? Uh, where am I at? I just finished... Wow, this is going to be deep cut for anyone who hasn't played the game, but it's called The Earthen Keep, I want to say. Uh-huh. I fought like a Medusa looking lady okay. in like a big poison swamp and there was a big tower. I mean, that name's like, that's like 50% of all from software yeah. environments. But I want to say it feels like I'm about halfway. I think that's around where I made it. I yeah. Think. I mean, I, I don't have any aspirations that you actually beat the game because it's no, you. No, of course not. Why would I do that? But I mentioned on Besties, the servers are off and continue to be off for Dark Souls 2 on PC because some hacking nonsense. So I am continuing to do this without notes, which is really a drag because there are many instances in this game where notes would have been extremely yeah. useful. Are you are you like playing with a little YouTube, you know, walkthrough? No, I, I don't do that, but I do look up like, hey, what order should I play this game in? So I looked up like, oh, after you do this environment, you should do this environment. But I don't do walkthroughs for like, here's how to get through this entire area. So what what is your take on this one? Because Dark Souls 2 was my favorite <laughs> until Elden Ring. Yeah. But I say that as, as you pointed out, somebody who only makes it till about halfway through every game they play. 
Yeah. So um, I guess before I mention me, I want a question for you. When you mm-hmm. played Dark Souls 2, mm-hmm. was that the first time that a From Software Souls-like game had like clicked for you? Because I guess at that point, Demon Souls and Dark Souls 1 had come out and then Dark Souls 2. Yeah, and I think the reason it did, we may have talked about this on an episode, the idea of each game in a franchise training you for the next one. Yes. So if you play the first one and you bounce off, you're more likely to appreciate the second one. And like that's why franchises make a lot of sense in video games. Is it's not like a a movie where you every movie you go to, you know the process. You go you go and you sit in the theater and you watch it and you know how to read a certain type of cut. And then mm-hmm. you you know how you, you just know how to watch movies. Video games are very different. You you have to learn how to experience them. And a game like Dark Souls I mean, a whole, the whole Soulsborne series, I think, demands that. And yeah, I, I think Dark Souls 2 was the first one where I was able to sit down and kind of appreciate it on its own terms. I admired Demon Souls. Sure. Demon Souls, before Dark Souls even came out. I, I was obsessed with the idea of it. I bought a copy, the limited edition copy of it when uh, we worked together at, our, at my very first job. And I promised myself that I would play it the day I got fired. And then I got fired and immediately started freelancing and never got to play any video Aww. games. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was the first one that I got into. Yeah. So it, when Dark Souls 2 came out, there hadn't really been a Souls game that clicked for me yet. And uh, so I remember we were talking about it for Game of the Year that year. And it actually won Game of the Year that year for what it's worth. And if you could look, go back and listen to that episode, whatever year that was, it, you'll probably notice that I don't talk a lot. Because even though I did play it, I probably played like three or four hours of it. Obviously, anyone who knows Souls games knows that three or four hours is bar- barely scratching the surface. And because it hadn't clicked for me, like it was really nothing pulling me deeper into it at that point. But then I got very into Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne and everything after that. And since then, I've gone back and played Demon's Souls, Dark Souls 1, etc. So Dark Souls 2 is the only one really left that I haven't played. And my initial thought on it is it's so funny that you loved it so much because I actually think the beginning of this game is really kind of not great. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, I think from a level design standpoint and from, like, artistically, like, uh, like vis- uh, visually, like, the art design of the early levels are a lot weaker than some of the middle game and maybe late game stuff. Um, so it kind of takes a while before it starts getting interesting. I think you see a little bit of good stuff. Uh, there's, like, Hyde's Tower of Flame, which is pretty early. But a lot of the stuff is, like, just a lot of, like, gross looking blah textures wrapped around a you know thing that's supposed to be a forest but doesn't look anything like a forest whereas you compare that to like dark souls which has that moment where you start at the at the um campfire and you look up and you see this castle and you like trudge your way up to the castle and then you look down and you see the campfire that you started at like dark souls 2 doesn't really have that at least not that i've seen or at least that wow factor. It's a, it's a fair bit more linear in it's the first li- half compared to Dark Souls I wouldn't Souls say 1, right? that it's linear. I think that it's... Because um, you can... You have uh, like a few different opportunities, yeah. like options of where to go. Maybe the word directed 
Yeah, it's more directed. That is yeah. right. Because it, it feels like you start in this hub world, which is Menjula or whatever it's called. And then from there, <laughs> you can go in like four different directions. And two of those directions you're like way underpowered for. And the other one, uh, the other two are like a little more reasonable and you can kind of ease your way into it. So I agree. Whereas like, God, Dark, uh, Dark Souls, I stumbled into the catacombs in minute one and just got... Oh, Christ. Housed. Anyway, long story short, I think it starts a little slow, but once I understood a few things, the game started really clicking for me. The wildest thing about Dark Souls 2, we're going to get a little technical here, but there's a thing oh, called- I'm ready for it. You I'm know sorry. I love a good technical sidebar. It's, uh, people listen, some people listening will nod, and some people uh-huh. listening will be like, what the hell are you talking about? Okay. So there's a thing called iFrames. Uh, oh, yeah. I, are you going to fr- explain iframes? I, a little bit, yeah. I'm, so I actually, I wish I had some popcorn to chew on because I don't fully understand iframes. So okay, so iframes stand for I, I like literally took a drink of water just to prepare for this. <laughs> <clears throat> iframes stand for invincibility frames, and oh, and where they come into play in Dark Souls is rolling. Uh-huh. When you roll in a Dark Souls game or really any from software game. For the first, let's say, 0.3 seconds of your roll, you are immune from damage, hence the invincibility part of that. And the number of frames is how long you of your roll you are invincible. So in most scenarios, your entire roll, you are not invincible. It's usually just like the beginning part of your roll, like the first mm. 25% of your roll. And certain you can change certain things to make that invincibility period longer so in other souls games you can for example wear less equipment so if your equipment load is lower you'll be immune from damage for more of that roll period does that make sense yes okay i i, I will I, I will i'll say my piece once you you've okay so that's how other souls games work is you just wear less armor and your iframes get longer okay. pretty straightforward in Dark Souls 2, there's a stat called adaptability. And I don't have the exact description in the game for how they described adaptability. I think they just say like, hey, you do better at stuff. What they don't tell you is that stat governs how long your iframes are when you roll. So for the first five hours of me playing Dark Souls 2, every time I tried to roll through an attack, I would get hit. And it felt really, really bad. Because I didn't know why. So I had to look online and eventually found myself on a YouTube that explained iframes and adaptability and why it's important and what stat I should put it at. It's worth noting this stat never came back in another Dark Souls game. They clearly thought it was a bad idea. Uh, so once I got over that hump and the game started feeling good, I was able to like really get into the rest of it and like start building a character and and feel like I had more command over the fights. And once that happens, like it's a Souls game, like it feels like a Souls game. And so I get all the rewarding elements of exploration and cool boss battles and, and all that stuff. But there's just some like weird hinkiness to this Souls game in particular Yeah, that made it a little bit harder to jump into. I mean, this is what is so goofy about video games is I, I remember when Dark Souls 2 came out, and it was not as well-received. It was still well-received. I'm, I'm sure there's somebody who's going to share a Metacritic link. Um, but it it was like, 
it, it was it's a runt in the litter, I guess, of the Dark Souls. Series. I mean, it still is. Yeah, it still is. And and I remember that the issue then was the world building that it wasn't as open and that it wasn't folding back in it on itself like the original Dark Souls, but. You have to wonder how much of it was something like this, right? Where it's this game's already opaque, mm-hmm. and then you change something like this, and it's not clarified, and the game just doesn't feel right, and most people just don't know why. Yeah, right. That is wild to me about uh, about this game and all games. The iframe is part. I'll be. This is me just being very honest and Love open, it. and I'm sure I will be again shamed for this. The reason that I always bounced off these games early on is because I believed you had to actually dodge the animation. Oh. So when like a character swung at me, I was like, oh, I need to keep my distance ah. so that I can dodge the, the, the hand coming at me. Right. But weren't there moments where you dodged and you definitely thought you should have gotten hit but weren't hit? I thought the game was broken. <laughs> I mean, well, because it was so inconsistent to me, right? Yeah, sure. Because I, I didn't know how to, again, read the game right. Yeah. And that, I, Elden Ring has made that so much more legible to me because the dodge in that game is so generous. It's yes, it is. It is pretty wildly generous. generous. Yeah. yeah. It, which it needs to be because I think that the bosses are so much more complicated. Did you understand in that game that you could roll through attacks? Immediately. Okay, and and I and I think I probably had understood it before. I maybe Sekiro. There there came a point where I started to understand it. Sure, yeah. Um, but it's you know I'm I'm not a moron. I no, play no, a lot of video games. It's counterintuitive. Well, yeah. Well, I'm just saying it's wild to, that I, someone who has grown up playing video games, who works you know around video games, all these things could just fundamentally misread what the game is trying to tell me. Well, and it's also one of those fun game design tricks that makes you feel better than you're actually playing like yes. the other example is like coyote time where you run off a ledge and you get a split second after running off the ledge to hit the jump button and you can still jump like that's a celeste thing and a number of other 2d platformers do that so there are a lot of small tweaks that uh, game developers make to make you feel better than you actually are playing and uh, iframes is is one of them and that that's named after Will Edward Coyote, a famous yes. game developer. <laughs> quite right, quite right. Um, uh, should we talk some about TMNT before we go into the break? Yeah, I want to say one more thing about Dark Souls 2 that okay. I think is really, really cool that hasn't showed up in another Dark Souls game, and I kind of wish it did. Uh, Dark Souls 2 has this weird thing. I don't know what the official term for it is, but I'm going to call it Torch Time. And mm-hmm. this probably rings a bell for you because I know you played certainly enough. When you pick up torches... In most uh, Dark Souls games, you just get a torch and you can use it for as much as you want. Mm-hmm. And you can light up rooms and whatever. Dark Souls 2, you have a limited amount of time to use a torch. And um, every time you pick up a torch, you get five minutes added to that timer. So after you've playing for uh, you've been playing for a while, if you have a ton of torches, you might have like an hour and a half of torch time. Why, why that's really cool, a couple things. One, the lighting in Dark Souls 2 looks amazing. I think it was improved for the re-release, which is called Scholars of the First Sin. Um, so the lighting, even today, by modern standards, looks absolutely stunning when you're holding a torch. It's outrageous. And B, it plays into the gameplay in really cool ways where you know you have a limited amount of torch time. You'll light a torch at a bonfire, 
and have to sacrifice using your left hand. So you can't put your torch away to like hold the shield. You need to keep holding that torch. And eventually, if you push through like a totally pitch black area, you'll get to these braziers that are placed around the maps and light up the different areas, creating like a new checkpoint. And Mm. that torch brazier will stay lit like forever. So you're kind of creating your own mini checkpoints in between the bonfires. And that was fucking cool. And I want to see more games do that. I love that. It's a morbid tie, baby. It is. Um, oh, wait, how is more? How is that relevant? It's like torch time. <laughs> oh, got it. Sure, morbid time. So you're is. in a cave, you know? Yeah, Mor- Morbius loves time. caves. You're right. Um, I, I, I do agree. I, I, I think any mechanics involving fire and light like that. Just want more of them as we get into the era of the ray tracing. Totally. You know? so like the the rare better. thing with the ray tracing where you're like, hey, this actually is benefits from yes, ray tracing. I can actually tell the difference. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. TMNT, the Cowabunga Collection. I think I'm 90% sure that's the title. I'm checking right now. I think Teen- that's Teen- right. Okay, it is. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Cowabunga Collection. <laughs> it is um, created by Digital Eclipse published by konami and it is a collection of 13 tmnt video games that do you know the window in which these games were released yeah i want to say this is a guess but i'm going to say like uh the first game probably came out in like 88 and the last game came out in probably uh 96 fresh was i close no 89. Okay, so eight, uh, the first one was close. In 93. Oh my god, that's crazy. 13 <laughs> games. 13 games. That's Four, amazing. I mean, I get it. Games, you know, came out fast. A lot of these are kind of like ports of each other too, right? Yeah. Um, But still... That's a lot of games. That's a lot of games. And if you're wondering, hey, are these good games? Let me remind you, 13 games in four <laughs> years. I mean, it, some of them are pretty so, good. Some of them are good. So I'll, I'll, I'm just going to go through a very... I'm going to give you all 13. Okay, but quick. I'll go fast. <laughs> Number one, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game. Yes. Right, right up top. Number two, Turtles in Time arcade, followed by a port of Turtles in Time, followed by Manhattan Project, Hyperstone Heist on the Genesis. That was Hyperstone Heist... A birthday in October and a Christmas were all built towards Hyperstone Heist in my childhood. I have never been more excited for anything in my life. <laughs> and let me tell you, <laughs> I put all the eggs in the wrong basket. Oh. The game is like perfectly fine. But, you know, you, you wait for anything for that long. No, and sure. You, you, it's you know, not going to live and Christmas, uh, That was a bad choice on my part. Um, after that, we got TMNT 2 Arcade for the NES. We have Tournament Fighters. Both the SNES and the NES version and the Genesis version. Thank God. <laughs> and then we have the Game Boy games, which is Back from the Sewers, Radical Rescue, Fall of the Foot Clan, and then lastly, TMNT on NES. Yeah. Wow. Woozy wowzy. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and also it includes the Japanese versions of, I believe, the majority of these games. Um, because and manuals. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's... We'll talk about so, the archiving stuff, I guess. Yeah, I mean, let's let's actually just talk about that. Okay. <laughs> because that's... Do, wait, wait, wait. Before, I do want to say this about the games. Yeah. I think most of them are kind of unplayable today, beyond yep. like a nostalgia factor. There are a couple that I 
still get enjoyment out of, not necessarily from a nostalgic factor. Turtles in Time certainly jumps to mind as probably the best in this collection, in my opinion, the arcade one. Um, the SNES one's not bad either. But yeah, it is difficult, it is extremely difficult to play these with modern, especially on the heels of the best Ninja Turtle game ever made. By far. By far, which just came out like a couple months ago. What was that called? Um, um, from Wayford. Cowabunga to Electric yeah. Boogaloo. From, the game that just came out from Switch. Wayford. Uh, or, it was called Wayford, uh, Shredder's Reve- Revenge. Jeez, right. Shredder's really Revenge today. from Dot Emu, right? Dot Emu. Made it. Um, yeah, I mean, as a game, this is an app. Hell of an advertisement for Shredder's Revenge. It is, you know. Mm-hmm. But as a, a work of preservation, I love it. I oh, love it's great. what Digital Eclipse is doing. Yeah. I mean, they're probably my favorite in the biz right now in terms of uh, these these classic collections. Yeah, and the way that the game works, you have all of those the the titles. And like I said, you can switch between the uh, American version and the Japanese version. And then there's a museum feature that is just like a 1990s bedroom basically yeah um where you can yeah look at like beautiful high-res scans of the cardboard boxes there are cool manuals there are are images from uh the different tv shows over the years uh it really just gives you the full vibe of this very intense four-year moment uh in which a basically an indie comic. I think TMNT was originally an indie comic. It was, yeah. It started, it, yeah, yeah. It became this force that I would have never counted on it being this huge of a thing all these years later, right? Like, it few things in children's entertainment are as steady as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Um, but that said, the best comparison that I could come up with for it, because I, I, I was racking my brain of what's the appeal here is a children's museum, which is to say it is a lot of fun. And I love playing these games with my child. Right. Yes. And my, my kid enjoys it well enough. But at the end of the day, if I gave my choice, uh, a, a choice to Mo between this and like Shredder's Revenge or like any, you know, modern theme park and the children's museum metaphor, He's going to choose that, right? Yes. Like, and, and I'm glad that this exists on, like, purely an educational level that I think it's a cool way to learn about uh, retro games, to learn about Team and T. I think it's great that, you know, companies are just funding this degree of preservation. But unlike all... So I, I, I wrote this down in, our, in our, our plan because I didn't want to forget it. With old movies, I can watch them and still enjoy them. <laughs> but old games, I don't know. I, I really struggle with going back and playing an old game because of the way that mechanics have evolved over the years. And I guess the comparison there is, like, video games are so young that games that are retro now are kind of like going back and playing silent or watching silent movies, if you're a movie well, fan. Or I'll make you another comparison. It's like going back and watching comedy from, like, the early 80s. Ye- not in every scenario, but there's a lot of comedy from that era that like has not aged well. Yeah, I would say that that's because they're racist, <laughs> right? <I> mean, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> deeply homophobic. Well, but also I would say like jokes, even the ones that aren't offensive. N- not all humor, a- like some humor aged like Monty Python 
uh, Holy Grail, I think, ages very well, but not all of the jokes, you know, from every movie have remained have remained funny over the years because maybe they were like super timely and they were making Reagan jokes or whatever, and like that doesn't land anymore. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I mean, I guess the reason I go with the film metaphor is back in the day, you know, these games were made by just itty bitty studios. Yeah, right, and it was just a rush commercial object that has become you know i guess kind of art in hindsight that's not to say people who were making it weren't trying to make art but let's be real i mean they were making however many tmnt games in four years like (laughs) it was to make money um and that that reminds me so much of again like the nickelodeons or the silent films where it was like i don't know like this one's where the train comes at you yeah um like we just need to get something to fill the the reels between the world war ii news updates this lady's waving you won't believe it (laughs) Uh, her hands moving at real time ladies and gentlemen two hands um yeah i i I feel like i'm like dunking on this that's not the case it's great at what it sets out to be I yeah, just I do, don't I, know how many people want to play these yeah. games. <laughs> I think people I think what will end up happening is people will buy this with because they have a rosy picture. Even I certainly did a rosy memory of playing these games and like what they felt like. And then you kind of start playing them and you realize, oh, they're extremely stiff and dated. And so that's a drag, but in addition to that, you also have this like nostalgic trip of like looking through manuals and looking through old ads and and all sorts of stuff like that. So I don't think it's it's a failure by any means, but I do think that people aren't people who aren't into experiencing retro games, like people that don't think about like misters and emulation and all that stuff like that. Someone that just like wants to relive their childhood will have a much better time just playing yeah. Shredder, Shredder's Revenge, which relives their childhood but in a modern way i guess yeah and i honestly i think shredder's revenge hurts the the joy of playing these games oh 100%. because i remembered really loving both of the arcade games the first yes. one and, and turtles in time and going back and playing them it was much rougher than i remembered and you know i i don't know if that's just because that comparison now is there and it's kind of hard to ignore it but yeah, it it's tough. I, I I think you're right though with like the retro thing. I think what I'm realizing is as I have less time to play games, maybe I'm just not as into retro games as I used to be. Um, especially retro beat 'em ups, where sure. there's not a lot of there there other than the visuals and the yeah. IP I would say tie-in. it's it's also a genre that like has evolved a lot since that era. Whereas if you look at like there are certainly like you can play Super Mario Brothers three, for example, or one or even whatever. Platformers have changed, but not that dramatically since the Super Mario Brothers era in terms of their minute to minute mechanics. So I think they age better. You know, even strategy games, same thing. A lot of like early XCOM games and and Fire Emblem games, you can still play and have a good time because the mechanics haven't evolved that much. But when it comes to these, like when you play Castle Crashers and you go back and play Team NT Arcade, it is a night and day difference in terms of feel. And uh, yeah, it's very hard to go back. Yeah. So very, 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 very well done. And people who already think they might like it, 
I'm going to tell you right now. I think you're going to like it. I think you're really going to like being able to play these uh, old TMNT NES games that are damn near impossible <laughs> um, with well, the benefit of, like, you know, modern emulation tools to yeah. rewind and things like that. Yeah, um, putting and states else, and stuff. Yeah, Shredder's Revenge is right there. You yes. have choice. It's great. Um, should we take a break and then we can talk about Cult of the Lamb? Let's do it. Okay, Cult of the Lamb. I have gone back. I fell off the game. And then, like a, a, I don't know, the prodigal son, I returned. Yeah, sure, he does. He returns. Um, I come back, and I really, really got sucked in. And now I have effectively beaten it, with a caveat. I have not beaten the final boss. Oh, no. I have played it too many times and i watched the ending just so i could see where things go so i can talk about it on this episode am i a bad gamer that's a question that i keep asking myself (laughs) what's weird about this game is it was such a cakewalk for me up until the final boss to the point that i went the first time i bought the final boss i just dove right into the attacks and just started spamming yeah because up until that point I was so overpowered that that was a perfectly acceptable way to take on the game. Sure. Um, it was, I mean, it was just bloodbath anytime I came across anything pretending to be difficult. And then the difficulty spike is bizarre. I mean, utterly bizarre in that the final boss, b- before this, you would have a boss fight that was basically one version of the boss, and you could get a whole bunch of health beforehand. And then there was even an ability where you could die in a boss fight and you could sacrifice one of your followers to come back. And if your follower was like old and like valuable, you could get a ton of health coming back. Yes. So you were guaranteed to win, basically. The final boss has two mini bosses ahead of it. And then there is the boss. And then the boss has two, but really kind of like three forms. Okay. And you do not go into it with extra health. There's no like level preceding it. And you can't um you can't volunteer volunteer. <laughs> you can't sacrifice a follower to to keep the fight going. So you go from having all of this support basically going into a fight to having none of it. And it just turning into kind of a and like a- yeah. And the fights themselves, especially the very final phase of of the boss, being kind of bullet hellish. Where okay. I mean, the screen is full of projectiles. And I was playing it on Steam Deck. Maybe I can do it better without Steam Deck. But there was it are what was it chugging? Was it running? No, running? no, no, no. It's not that it's chugging. The projectiles are like a bright yellow orange or whatever. Yeah. And then there are spikes that come out of the ground, and the ground is red, and the, the warning for the spikes is, like, dark red. Sure. So my eye could not track, oh, bright yellow is danger, but also dark red on a red ground is also danger. Yeah. And I, I just, I could not position myself. Um, so you, you mentioned this to me, I guess, question A, and I asked you this over text, but so... Did you try lowering the difficulty? I don't know if you can. I don't know if there's I thought a you could in... I, I didn't check uh, recently, but I thought you could do it in the settings. But regardless of that, in theory, you shouldn't have to if you 
did so well in the rest of the game. There's no reason why the final boss would be that difficult. Well, and I think the game wants to break itself, I guess, in a weird way. So throughout the game, you can also invest one of your many points into uh, getting better weapons when you start a run, right? And there are these godly weapons that are like almost double your attack power, 1.5. I I don't know. But there are a lot more. And everybody on Twitter has said that like, oh, I beat that right away. But, big but, I got blank godly weapon. Right. Um, And I think that is the issue that I might be running into is that I just don't have, you know, I've, I've gotten the godly weapon to appear, I think, twice so far okay um and like it's not one that i am good with and it's certainly not as damaging as some people's tweets have said that the number that they were able to get for attack power um so it sounds like i might just be having bad luck and also being bad at the game i want to be clear i also think i'm just like not playing well and i need to play it on on a better on a larger monitor um but yeah it's kind of a bigger big bummer that part that said, I want to talk about the rest of the game. Oh boy, pretty good. Pretty I like that game. Good. You did you bounce off? I mean, I didn't bounce off because I was actually enjoying myself, but I had too much other stuff to play because of besties that mm. I haven't been able to go back to it. I think you should go back. I think I, well, I would like I, to. It's you know, whenever you my, have time, because um, I, I got to a point where I was li- I had like the whole setup with like the outhouse and a janitor picking up poop and. My village was in very good uh, standing. Yeah, and once you get to that, once the village is running, that's when the game really... I mean, you know, with all those types of games, it really sings. Um, I did not expect to like my cult so much. I like the people in my cult. Yeah, I like the people in my cult, and I like how I was running it. Okay. <laughs> like, And I decorated it. The game does a really good job of incentivizing you to make... A house at home. Yes. Um, and when I started the game the first time and when I bounced off, I really admired the game. And I like how uncomfortable the game makes me. Um, but I was really <laughs> struggling with some of the things it was asking me to do. And I was always making choices that were not necessarily the easy choice, but were maybe a little more morally comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I Fairly, I, I have sacrificed people, but most of the time I'm, I'm out here giving people funerals or like helping them ascend to a higher plane. Yeah. You know, um, I have a, a beautiful cemetery with wreaths on every grave that in the, only the finest graves from my fallen followers. Um, have you revived any of them? No, I don't, I don't, I don't do a lot of blood magic or any you don't of that believe in stuff. that. And I also don't, you can, um, give your followers shrooms to brainwash them for a yeah. few days. And I've only done that once. I only did it because I was batting my head against uh, this boss. And then I felt horrible afterwards. Sure, yeah. So then I did a run just to get some medicine to help all of them because they got sick from the shrooms. Well, they say just a little bit of mushrooms is actually supposed to be good for you. Uh, oh, they're microdosing. Yes, they're yeah, microdosing. that was the problem. Is I, 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 I didn't have a set and setting for them. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I, I, I have really like kind of taken to the world, and there, I like the larger world. There's a lot more, a number of characters who show up who play that kind of um, the dice game with you. Yeah, that are are pretty 
cute. There is a gold world, like, or a gold area of the map, full of these, like, shitty false idols that I think is smart. I just think that they made a really interesting place to hang out, which is wild, because everything about the game it tells me this is a place that I don't want to be. Sure. You know, we, we talk about this all the time, about how, how easy it is for me to bounce off an open-world game like Horizon or whatever, from just like, you know what, I just don't want to be here. Um, and yet here I am, like, very happy to hang out with my crew, um, which I guess kind of gets to the point of how fucked up cults are um, and how easy it is to, like, forget that you are really keeping these people here somewhat against their will, that yeah. you're using them. Um, yeah, it's a weird game. I I just... I love that this weird-ass game blended together Animal Crossing and roguelikes and then made a pretty biting critique of religion and used a really cutesy aesthetic to get away with all of it. Um, and not to forgive it, I don't think the game's like apologizing for any of those things. I just think it knows that if it had a grim aesthetic to go with all the grim things it's doing, you would just not play it. Yeah, it'd be too much. I, I think it's it's very biting satire. I, I, I don't think, uh, you know, certainly not applauding these things. Uh, but I think it does a very smart job of making the medicine go, go down smoothly without feeling like it's speechifying at you. Yeah, and I and I feel like it doesn't do... What I worry about from, uh, who is it? Devolver published this. Yeah. Where there is some Devolver games where it's just like edgy, but doesn't have anything to say. Mm -hmm. And my biggest fear with this game was like, shit, I don't want a game that's just using a cult as an aesthetic. Right. Like, that sucks. Like, I, I you know, I, 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 cults are really scary and do absolutely horrific things to people. Like, this is not. This is not just some, like, edgy layer that you can, you know, a livery that you can put on your video game car. And I don't, I don't think that's this. I, I, I do think that it, for the most part, makes sure that it's supporting the things that it's having you do in the game with some sort of conversation about or interrogation of those ideas. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and I think it's definitely one of those games that we're going to be talking a lot more of as we get into game of the year territory but it's uh yeah it's a special one i i, I will go back to it yeah and, and try to beat it and see how much better at video games i am uh you're gonna beat you. it on your first try uh, I, have I have no doubt no doubt and it's gonna be because the game gives you like Oh, the the mega god weapon where you just walk right through the boss and he's dead, and then you're going rub it in my face. Yeah, it's kind of I'm just gonna be so pissed. Are you are you playing, watching, enjoying anything else right now? Have I talked about Prey? I don't think I have. Wait the the immersive sim? No, it's a movie. Uh, the Predator movie. Well, that's a big spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, it's the Predator movie. I don't think I talked about it on the show. Maybe I, don't I think did. So. No, I don't think so. Um, Dan Trachtenberg directed maybe my favorite thriller of the last 20 years in 10 Cloverfield Lane um, and also directed this uh, Prey movie, which is called Prey, but it's effectively a Predator movie um, set in the late 1700s following... Um, a Native American 
woman and her tribe. And guess what? The predator shows up and wrecks all sorts of shit. And uh, I've seen a lot of the predator movies. Uh, There have been a number of them. And this is really the only one that I remember seeing that felt like an honest uh, sort of, I wouldn't say retread because I think it's actually handled very well, but it is, it pulls a lot from the very first Predator movie, which was like 1v1, you know, using creativity to sort of outmatch someone that is like way more technologically advanced than you are, um, you know, Home Alone style. And um, I don't know, I, I just found it like beautiful and really interesting and handled the cultural stuff in a really interesting way. They actually shot it entirely in, uh, I want to say Apache was the language. Uh, they actually did a dub, a dub where the entire movie was done in Apache. So you can watch it like that with like subtitles. Um, I didn't do that, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think they were very smart and careful to like do, a lot of respect to the uh, Native American actors in this and, and their culture, uh, while also being like a f- fucking kick-ass Predator movie, of which we haven't had very many of those. So yeah, if you dig that stuff, it's on Hulu streaming, um, and uh, definitely worth uh, worth your time. It's a solid ninety minutes of uh, of a romp. Uh, I also brought a sci-fi horror film in the same universe. Even. It is. You're right. I didn't even intend the that. The Pray Love Universe. Wow. Um. Uh. uh Alien Director's Cut. I saw it at uh, a movie theater. I had never seen the original Alien on a large screen, and you know what? Pretty good. I think this Ridley Scott is going to do okay. He'll be okay. He's going to be okay. Things that surprised me seeing it on like large format. One. The movie just rules. Like, no surprise there. Uh, there are a couple jump scares that are still genuinely upsetting. So yeah. that is good. Um, the the visual effects, the gore, still works very, very well. I mean, the alien is astounding. The alien is still the best. The xenomorph is still the best creature I think I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, just nothing like it. it and looks... there's not a shot in there that's like, oh, that looks like a guy in a suit. Yeah, it looks so real. Yeah. It, it's wild. And the final, the, the end of the film where you see the alien kind of in a wrapped up spot, kind of concealed. I don't want to spoil it because I yeah. do think there are still people who haven't seen this movie. Just really, really upsetting. Um, I love it. The thing that was new this time is I remembered the art design of this movie being amazing. Yeah. That the, you know, that's this like awesome, you know, 70s vision of the future, the really clean aesthetic. The costumes. uh, The the spaceship, right? Yeah, the spaceship, sure. Yeah. And what I didn't um, know until seeing it on our screen is like, that's true. It is very beautiful and well-designed, but it also looks kind of cheap. At the beginning, hmm. um, the sets look like kind of like they were just like ripped off of whatever the studio lot was shooting from whatever other B features. And yeah. then they just painted it kind of, I don't know, like flipping your home white or tan <laughs> beige, right? Yeah. Um, 
and and removed like any reflective surfaces or anything that was too gaudy. And I I actually really 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 like that because y- you take this thing that looks very artificial, and then over the course of the film it just gets completely destroyed and by the end of the film you're you're no longer in this clean artificial environment you're in these very very realistic kind of factory spaces and vents and air shafts and yada 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 it's very grimy very metallic and it feels like watching an entire era of sci-fi literally getting thrown in the garbage bin yeah like because i and that that's kind of what happened like this movie comes out and then after that you don't see many of that kind of 70s chic sci-fi anymore. Certainly right. not sci-fi horror. And this kickstarts this era of grime and grossness. What uh, year did this movie come horror. out? I'm pretty sure it's 79. Was, um, was it so it was yeah, 79. after Star Wars? Uh after Star Wars. Okay. Um and and yeah, and Star Wars was also responsible for a fair amount of like grime aesthetic. But, yeah. but I would point to like Luke's entire design as a character as like deeply 70s, right? Yeah, Han yeah, Solo. Yeah, sure. You know, the the version of Grime is quite quite different. Um yeah, there there there's so many cool things that they're doing and how they play with the cleanliness of the the world of the future and the complete indifference and like unknowable horror that is powering it the other example is there's a robot character in the film that gets just completely shredded up and the portrayal of their guts is like a mix of like milk goo wires and then these like semi-transparent balls like glass balls and it's one of those things that like the alien when you see it it's so upsetting because it defies your understanding of how things could possibly be right it, it um, looks like something completely alien to you yeah completely foreign to you yeah. yeah and like that idea of like yes you are trapped on the spaceship with an alien but also the your own people or your own you know support system is also that that is i think the horror that really hit me this time yeah. of like oh shit being out there where you you truly can't trust anything would be just so 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 scary it's interesting because the two movies uh, predator and alien are structurally very similar to one another but tonally the most different they can be because they also both of them start with like a group of people in a situation where there's this overpowered being who is basically picking them off one by one and eventually ends up in a sort of 1v1 battle royale situation and but Predator is like basically a Rocky movie, but you're fighting an alien. And Alien is, uh, I mean, like basically like a very cold, dark, like, uh, you know, not not Friday the 13th, but um, what's the one, Jason? Michael uh, Myers. Yeah. What's Michael Myers? Is that Friday Halloween. the 13th? Halloween. It's like a yeah. Halloween. Yeah, kind of, kind of slasher vibes. I mean, I would say without the like, ha- without the like uh, campiness. Yeah, I mean, they both take the similar idea of right. You know, this group of people then have to face off against the big bad. Yeah. Um, I think Alien is like it's capitalism, right? Like, oh, it sure. is, it's, it's like yeah. kind of shocking how much it's just Alien is really. Hey, these are a whole bunch of people who are on contract on a mining ship, and then they 
literally find out, oh, you're not going to get paid if you don't go investigate this thing. Well, and, yeah, but it's funny because Predator is actually the same thing, but it's about like government bureaucracy. Yeah. So yeah. there's always a layer. Yes. Well, but what I'd say with Predator is Predator is about like, what if the toughest dudes on the planet were suddenly chumps? Yeah. Right. Like what, what happens when the world's toughest dudes <laughs> become the prey? Yeah. Um, and like, that's such a cool, I, I mean, yeah, I love both these movies for different reasons. That is such a cool premise, especially in the 80s, to just be like, yeah, we're going to make a movie about how all of these action stars of the 80s are actually just like sacks of meat waiting to get obliterated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Movies, you know, they rule. Oh, some uh, a number of people have sent me uh, uh update on the Steam Deck with Criterion Channel being added to it. Oh, what? I, <laughs> I just want to say... <laughs> There is nothing wrong with watching Criterion movies on a Steam Deck. On a 720p screen? No, because, like, a lot of... Should you watch, like, the most beautiful, visual, stunning movie? Should you watch Citizen Kane on a Steam Deck? No, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't watch Raging Bull on it. But a lot of old movies, especially, like, Swedish television, they look nice. But, like, that's not entirely the point. And you should just watch old movies wherever you're comfortable watching them. Because yeah. there's such a barrier to entry for this stuff. I love, 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 love watching um, classic and art movies on my iPad. Because it's like, it's just that, right? I can sit in bed, the lights are off, there's no distractions. And it's just like, my headphones are on. And I'm, you know... 10 inches away from the screen or whatever and I'm I'm locked in. Where I often find that if I try to watch a, you know, a slow RE movie in the living room with a nice TV how I'm supposed to watch it, then I'll I'll bounce off because mm-hmm. my head just starts going other places. So, yeah. I don't I like I'm glad it's there. I think that's a perfectly fine place for it to be. And you could play, you know, Xbox picture in picture while you're watching Citizen Kane. <laughs> and that's, you know, exactly as Orson wanted it to be yeah amen know. um uh i i i also should caveat here i have not actually seen it on steam so if this is just some photoshop of somebody adding it <laughs> that would also not surprise me um uh, i mean i'm sure there's a way you could pull up a browser and do oh it. yeah i'm sure yeah, that, that's probably more than likely what it is is that you could like create it inside of the linux you know desktop yeah. and then make your own version of it um anyway that's it i'm sad i didn't get to talk about immortality maybe we'll have to talk about that at the end of the year because i have it is like the most chris plant game i think i've ever played (laughs) i i am yes i i i i'm you should here's here's the deal because i actually do want to talk about it so why don't we say the next resties by then i'm sure you'll have played more and we'll dedicate like a b segment to immortality okay there's a lot more to say about that game i'm curious because i have not been like a huge fan of other sam barlow games i don't think they're bad i just haven't this game is so involved with old film it's so interested in like 70s and 80s and 90s cinema that i really it is a i'm not saying that you'll love it but at the very least it scratches a chris plant itch that exists deep within you. No, I, I, I think you're right. I think that's, pro- <laughs> I think that's probably true. Um, okay, should we put a bow on it? Let's put a bow on it. Cool. Uh, that's it. This has been another episode of The Resties. He is Russ Frushdick. I am Chris Plant. You can find us at The Besties Pod on Twitter. 
And until next time, this has been another episode of The Rescues, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. Resties. Resties.